<laughs> oh, man. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Everybody was pretty talkative during that video. I don't know if you caught that, but uh, there's a uh, 24-7 prayer who we have partnered with, uh, with our World Prayer Center, the prayer that we're doing. So 24-7 Prayer Global, led by Pete Gregg, incredible pastor and leader. They put together an eight-week prayer course based on the Lord's Prayer that is just phenomenal content. And so all of our table groups, we just showed you all our table group leaders, all of our table groups this semester are going to be going through that content. So to share a meal together and then 15 minutes, like a 10 to 15 minute little video and then some nice discussion afterwards. So one of our uh, focal items for this year as a congregation is prayer. Prayer, engagement, and invitation are our three things. So it's an opportunity for us to grow in prayer. So if you'd like to jump in on that content, a table group is the place to do that. We're also going to be going through it as a staff so part of our ongoing learning together. Some of you are still on your feet, and it just inspires me. Stand up one more time. Actually, we'll have you stand up a few more times. Jake, Jake over here wins the prize, actually. He was standing the whole time. Give it up for Jake Langston over here, ladies and gentlemen. And let's declare our faith before we open the scriptures here. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you can agree with it, say it real loud. You may be seated. We're in a series called Who is God? Looking at how God reveals himself in Scripture. God in the Christian imagination, as we've said, is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in our first message of this series, I talked about that a little bit, about how God is Trinity and the Trinity has a story. And this story is a story where we discern the movements, the texture of who God is for us. And so in the first week of our uh, series, once we jumped into talking about the Father, I talked about the Father as the creator of heaven and earth, that he embeds his goodness in the created order. And he reveals that to us for our comfort and for our edification. And we too, Pastor Rory talked about who God is for us when we fail, when we walk away from God. Last week, Pastor Brady was here talking about who God is for us as the covenant God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, that our God who we call Father is a good God. And I want to pick up those thoughts this morning by thinking through covenant a little bit. One of the things that God reveals about himself to us in Scripture is that he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. So his goodness is not just kind of floating around randomly in the heavens, but his goodness is nailed down to things that he says to us about our lives. Before we jump into the scriptures, I'm going to be in the book of Exodus 
chapter 2 and a couple other places, but Exodus 2 will be in the main place. Before we get to the scriptures, let's pray. This morning we say, hallowed be your name. Would you, uh, would you cause a sense of reverence to fall in this house this morning? Thank you already for the ways in which your spirit has been at work, O oh Lord our God. Releasing faith in us and building up our body and helping us become as you intend us to be in your presence, O oh God. Whole and complete, lacking nothing. We're grateful for that. This morning... We, uh, well, we thank you that you have spoken in the scriptures, but we thank you that you also still speak in the scriptures by the power of the Spirit. And so we ask that the Spirit would be strong among us in these next moments as we open up the scriptures. We ask that you would help us see with the eyes of faith. We pray that you'd help us discern the kingdom, that we would see Christ Jesus in our midst. So come, reveal yourself to us, we pray. Oh, Lord, our God, and we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, be in the book of Exodus. I'll actually be in chapter 1, then I'm going to jump over to chapter 2. Exodus 1 and verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Pick up the action in chapter 2 and verse 23. During that long period, that period of groaning and oppression and slavery, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery. Everybody say groaned in their slavery. And they cried out, and their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he, what's the text say? He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about their suffering. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said. The Israelites find themselves in Egypt, and they are growing and they're multiplying and they're spreading and the Egyptians are threatened because of them. And so they begin to oppress them and diminish their lives. And as they lift up their voices to the Lord, the text of Exodus says that God remembered the covenant. Everybody say, remember the covenant. He remembered the covenant. He remembered a promise that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. And so God looked upon the Israelites and he was concerned about their sufferings. God defines himself in his relationship with humanity by the promises that he makes. And I love that the writer of Exodus here is hearkening all the way back to Abraham because the covenant that God makes with Abraham is such a significant covenant. You might remember Genesis chapter 12, if you remember your Bibles. Abraham is just a pagan living in Ur of the Chaldees with his family, and God calls him out and says, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you 
I will curse and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so God begins to lay out promises for Abraham. And one of the promises that he puts in front of Abraham is that Abraham is going to have a family that's as extensive, as expansive as the stars in the sky. And we get to Genesis chapter 15, and there's this incredibly significant moment that happens between Abraham and Yahweh, where God says to Abraham, look, I'm your shield, and I'm your very great reward. And Abraham kind of stops him. He goes, hey, we've been in a relationship for like a hot minute here, Lord, and uh, I'm appreciative of all the promises that you give me and all the nice stuff that you said to me and all the ways that you looked out for me, and it's very good. But right now, the person who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And we don't know anything about Eliezer except that he gets dissed by Abraham there in Genesis chapter 15. He's like, it can't be this guy. And the Lord says, no, it's not going to be this guy, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then he says, go outside and look up in the skies and see if you can count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He says, so shall your offspring be. And the scripture says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And if that had just been the end of the chapter, it might be good enough, but it continues to go on and on. And one of the things that the Lord does in this chapter is he begins to make covenant with Abraham, that he cuts a promise into flesh with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to take an ox, a goat, and a heifer, and a couple birds, and I want you to cut them in half, Abraham, and line them up as this sort of gauntlet, this sort of corridor. And this kind of language, like this action, would have been familiar to people in the ancient Near East. This is the language of covenant, that you're taking these animals and you're cutting them up and you're creating this corridor. And normally what happens in the cutting of a covenant is that the lesser party walks through all of those animals towards the greater party, swearing fealty, fidelity to the greater party, as a way of saying, follow me, that if I don't keep my end of the bargain in the covenant that I've just made with you, may my, my life be like the life of these animals that have been cut apart. And we get to the end of Genesis chapter 15, and what we find is that after Abraham had done those things, the scripture says that he fell into a thick and dreadful darkness, and he has this vision, and in the vision, he does not walk towards the Lord, but in the vision, he sees this smoking fire pot with a flaming torch in it, and that smoking fire pot, it's a theophany, it's a picture of God. God actually moves towards Abraham, the greater party actually moves towards the lesser party in the cutting of this covenant, which is a way of God saying to Abraham, not if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, may your life be like these things, but it's a way of God turning the whole thing inside out and saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, may I be like these animals. Do you see how serious God is about the promises that he makes to us? He puts his own name and his own reputation on the line with his people. So that when they fall into slavery in Egypt and their lives are being ground to powder by the Egyptians, God, what does the text of Exodus say? He remembers what? The covenant that he made with Abraham. And he begins to move in on the Israelites' behalf, delivering them from the power of Egypt. And so we pick up the action in Egypt in Exodus, in the book of Exodus chapter 15, they've been delivered now from slavery. And here are Moses and all the Israelites at the Red Sea singing, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea. Next verse, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Verse 13, in your unfailing 
love. Everybody say unfailing love. You know what the Hebrew word there is? It's hesed. It's covenant love. Faithful love. The love by which God puts his own name and his own life and his own reputation on the line. In your unfailing love, Moses says, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. And in your holy strength, you will guide them to your dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, that you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, that your hands have established. In the song that the Israelites sing at the Red Sea, they affirm God as the covenant-making God, the promise-keeping God. And they have a future, Moses says, because God is this sort of a God. I want to say to you this morning, New Life East family, that we have a future because God our Father makes and keeps his promises to us. Our future is not some blind, mindless fate, but our future is full of the promises of God. Can I get an amen from somebody? This is what it means for God to be our father. And I have four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. And I I remember holding my oldest son, Ethan, for the first time when he was born. You know, that process is a strange process for the guy, you know, the pregnancy process. The woman has this incredibly intimate relationship with this baby that's growing like this beautiful parasite within her. And (laughs) I remember, you know, Mandy would sit there on the bed and she'd sing to Ethan, you know, and she'd poke his little butt, you know, and get him to move and all of that. And the guy is more of an observer to the whole thing, you know, trying to be supportive and stuff. And I remember just so looking forward to the day that I would meet Ethan for the first time. And Mandy goes into labor and it was a long labor, first kid, you know, it was almost 48 hours or so. It was crazy. She delivers Ethan safe and sound. She's so exhausted, she collapses in the bed and I'm holding, I'm holding my son Ethan for the first time. And I will never forget how profound that moment was. She's sleeping. It's just me and him one-on-one. And I just begin telling him about myself and our family and my love for him. And what was so profound to me was that my relationship with Ethan was like two hours old at that point, you know. And yet I felt such zeal in my heart for him. Like three hours ago, we were perfect strangers to each other. And now here we are beginning this relationship. And I just rem- I remember feeling with Ethan, it was like I'd strike the Heisman Trophy pose, you know, like this is my guy. <laughs> and I remember thinking there's not a single thing that I wouldn't do for this child. I'd lay down on the train tracks and I'd take a bullet for him. I'd do anything. And I, like, you know that you know that all of a sudden this sacred obligation, the sacred obligation of parenthood, of fatherhood has come upon you. And it's a covenant relationship that I'm going to do you good so far as it depends on me. I'm going to do you good all the days of my life until I have no strength left in my body. And he's 15 now. He's going on 16. And I have come to see that that feeling has no expiration date. It just goes on and on. And I know that because I've seen that in my own life with my own father. I remember uh, leaving the house at 18 or so. God, so emotional. I remember leaving the house at 18 to go off to college. Mandy and I got married at 19. I was 19, she was 20. So one year later, we were married, married an older woman. Congratulations, Andrew. Good job. And I I remember uh, at 19, you know, feeling like I had a lot to prove with my parents. You know, okay, I'm married now. I'm a college student. I'm out of the house. I'm off of your insurance. This was back in the old days when you couldn't stay on their insurance forever. So you're 47 or whatever it is now. 
It's not a political statement. We're just having fun here. Calm down. Everyone's welcome here. All the views are welcome here. But I remember feeling such pressure in my heart that I'm a man now and I have to, you know, I have to prove to my parents that I can make it. And so I was driving this, uh, my car at the time was this Chevy S10 pickup. It was black. I called it the angel of death. I don't know why, but I did. And I loved that vehicle and it started getting this weird rattle in it at one point. And so I took it into a body shop and they did a diagnostic on it. And I can't remember what was broken. It was like six or $700 worth of repairs. Probably it was like Six, what? Six or seven hundred? I don't have six or seven hundred dollars. You know, Mandy's working full time at a dentist's office. I'm waiting tables. I mean, we're scraping to get by anyway. We had no margin. Where is this money coming from? And I, I just did not know what I was going to do. And so what I do, I call my dad. And I'm calling my dad, not asking, certainly not asking for money. I had too much, way too much pride on the line to do that. But I did need to know what to do. Like, what's the best path here? You know, like, help me think through my alternatives Dad and I'm going to try to make a sensible decision. So I, we talked to, I, you know, Dad, this is what's going on. I took it into the body shop and they diagnosed this. And this is how much repair is going to cost and blah, blah, blah. What do you think I should do? <laughs> and he goes, well, do you have a pen and paper handy? I'm fine, sure. So I find a pen and paper. And he goes, okay, I need you to just uh, write this down. Okay. Two, three, four, two. Zero, zero, seven, one, four, three, eight, two, nine, six, four, seven, expiration date. I go, what are you giving me? He goes, this is my credit card number. He goes, just go get it taken care of. <laughs> and I just remember as a 19-year-old feeling like I had a lot to prove and I'm on my own and I can do it. And all of a sudden feeling really vulnerable and you, your dad comes through for you. And not because I was asking for help. I was actually not asking for help. I was not asking for money. But, and I've learned that with my own dad over the years, you know, that you never graduate from that. There's no expiration date on the obligations of fatherhood. I think about some of the tough things that Mandy and I have been through. There was a moment in our lives where we were just involved with this a dispute with some folks that we really felt like we were being mistreated by them. And I I remember jumping on the phone with my dad, you know, dad, and I lay out the whole scenario for him. And he goes, well, if you need me to, I'll jump. I mean, I was like 35 years old at this point. He goes, well, if you need me to, I'll jump in my truck right now and I'll come down there and I'll settle, I'll settle it for you. Like, Appreciate it. You stay in your corner. <laughs> we'll figure it out. The obligation never stops. That's what I'm saying. And we see that in human relationships when they're going the right way. But I think that we see it most of all in the relationship that God has with his people. And Moses now, after he leads the people of Israel up out of Egypt, he leads them for 40 years. And he gets this moment towards the end of his life where he's about to really turn them over to new leadership. And he says this in Deuteronomy. He said, Then I said to you, don't be afraid, don't be terrified, for the Lord your God is going before you. Oh, the Lord your God who is going before you, he will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. And there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way that you went until you reached this place. Think about that. From the divine perspective, what God was doing with his people in the wilderness, think about you parents in the room. Think about when your little ones were tiny and you'd pull them close where you could feel their breath on your neck and their little bodies would sort of mold into your body. 
That's the way that the Lord says he carried his own people through the wilderness. In chapter 33 and verse 12, the Lord giving this blessing about Benjamin. He said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Where is between the shoulders? Right here. And the way that you parents, the way that you held your kids when they were little, right there. Right in the center, think about it, in the center of your strength and in the center of your heart for them and your care for them. And Moses is getting ready to die and the people of God are getting ready to march into their future and the Lord says to them, you're not graduating from this. But forever with me, you're going to be my children that I'm hugging between my shoulders my children with whom I'm in covenant relationship, my children with whom my name is on the line, where if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, may my life be like the life of these animals. Are you tracking with me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? We never graduate from God's fatherly care for us. And Mandy and I have learned this so many times over the years, the way that the Lord cares for us. I could tell you story after story after story after story of God's fatherly care. Think about when I was about halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way uh, through my undergraduate, I felt this growing sense of call to ministry. And I was not, uh, my major was not a ministry major. It was like a business degree. And I remember just thinking, I'm not really sure what the path is and how this is all going to work out. And I remember having the thought one day, well, I need to go to seminary. Actually, that's what I need to do. I'm going to go get a graduate degree. I'm going to get a master's of divinity, which is the dumbest sounding degree I've ever heard of. Three years, you master the divine things. I remember thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a master's of divinity and starting to puzzle that out and doing some research on seminaries and how much they cost and all that. And I remember starting to look at the cost of seminary education. And this was like going on 20 years ago and three years, four years in a seminary, it's like $50,000, you know. And I was already starting to rack up some pretty significant undergraduate debt. I remember thinking to myself, $50,000, what $50,000, Lord? And I'm supposed to go into ministry after that? You know, like I know that there are famous pastors and preachers and stuff like that that make money hand over fist. But I, I know enough to know that most pastors don't make a lot of money. So I'm going to walk into probably a poorly paying job with $70,000 worth of debt. How can that be, God? And I remember, I remember driving into work actually one day and feeling like the Lord said to me, I am your provider, and if I provide for you on the front end of this seminary experience or on the back end, it's all the same to you. I'm going to provide for you. Like, those bills are my bills. Like, here's my credit card number. Like, I've got your back. And so what I want you to do, Andrew, is I want you to act in faith. Move forward towards this thing that I've called you to do. And I, pro I promise you, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. I have you in this. And so Mandy and I started doing some research on the seminary that I wanted to go to. And it turned out that they had a full tuition. Uh, there was a full tuition scholarship program that they had just started. And so we downloaded the application for that and filled it all out and sent out recommendation forms, you know, to all the former pastors that I had and praying like on our hands and knees all the time. God, please, $50,000. It's like being given a BMW or something. Please, oh God, like we could use your help here. And I'll never forget one day, Mandy was sitting in the living room on, her on our couch and the phone rang. This guy from the seminary, he calls. He goes, hey, um, is this Andrew? I said, yeah, this is Andrew. He goes, um, this is Matt from Trinity. 
And I'm just calling you to let you know that you got into Trinity. Congratulations. Ah, it's an amazing moment. He goes, and also I've got one more thing to tell you. Uh, do you remember that scholarship that you applied for? Yes. <laughs> I remember. He goes, well, congratulations. You've been awarded the scholarship and all of it paid for. And I just remember, I remember of the both of us, that first of all, screaming. Ah! <laughs> And hugging each other and crying. and Because God's our provider. He takes care of his kids. And I think about some of the times that we've had over the years where money started to get really scarce for us. I remember one time we had while I was in seminary. Again, I tell you stories all day long. But I remember one time we had when I was in seminary and money was running really, really, really like super low. I mean, like we were like on fumes. And we felt this prompting in, the, in our hearts to give some money to some people that we knew that had it worse off than us. They were facing a crisis of some kind and felt a prompting in our hearts to give $50, which to us, man, back in 2004, living hand-to-mouth graduate students, $50 was like a staggering amount of money. And I remember we did that by faith, you know, that we took that money and we put it in a little envelope and I slipped it in the books of the friend that I had, you know, he was a student, a fellow student of mine at Trinity, and I slipped it in his books one day, and that was just by faith. Like, what we're doing here, God, is we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus for somebody else, and then we're going to trust that as we do that, that you're going to see to it that we're not left bereft, you know? And have you ever done that? You ever, like, signed away, like, the last money that you had in your checking account, or the last, given away the last bills that you had in your pocket? You don't know faith until you've done that. And you have no idea how you're going to make rent and how you're going to pay your bills. And we didn't tell a soul about the financial spot that we were in. Not a soul about it. We didn't intimate it to any of our friends. We weren't sharing, like, you know, covert prayer requests. Like, you know, we, um, we could really use, you know, $750, friends, if you could just pray for us. But we didn't do any of that stuff. But none of that. And, I remember getting home from class one day and we went down to the, I went down to the mailbox and opened up the mailbox and there was an envelope with $200 in it and no name attached to it and no note attached to it either. Like, hey, we knew that you guys were hard up. It's just straight, cold, hard cash in our mail. I have no idea to this day. I have no idea who that came from. If I don't keep up my end of the bargain... May my life be like the life of these animals. I'm just telling you that this is who our God is for us. That when he enters into covenant with us as our father, he promises to provide for us and to guide us and to guard us and protect us and to carry us as he carried the Israelites all the way to his dwelling place until they're planted on the mountain of his possession. Just last week in this community, I talked to a guy who was unjustly let go from this company that he had worked for, this job that he loved. And I remember at our Wednesday morning prayer meeting, like three weeks ago, he came and he told me about this falling apart that happened and how unjustly he was treated. And we sat in the back of the World Prayer Center and I prayed over him and I said, Lord, you have promised in your scriptures that God is a God of justice and blessed are all who wait for him. And so, Lord, I'm praying for the faith in my friend over here, not to try to arrest the situation or take, it, take control of it for himself, not to try to pull the levers and push the buttons to make this come out right, but I'm praying that faith would rise in his heart. That you are the God of justice and blessed are all who wait for him. And he comes up in between services to me just last week. And he goes, Andrew, you won't believe it. 
the company that I was let go from, they gave me a call this week and they told me that the way that I was treated was not right and they've given me my job back. They've reinstated me. Guys, I'm saying to you that God can be trusted for these things. I'm saying to you that when God enters into a covenant relationship with us, he doesn't do it because we're just useful to him. Do you want to be part of my cause? Do you want to be part of my team? Do you want to be part of my thing? Great. Well, I've got some needs that I need taken care of. Shut up. We'll get that taken care of. That's not what our God does. But the stuff that touches us touches him. The things about our life that are meaningful to us, that we care about, God cares about too. All of the stuff of our lives was the object of his concern. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why is it that you're worrying about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I'm telling you that not even Solomon in all this splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, the insignificant, stupid grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And you're who? You're who? You're who? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm here to tell you this morning that all of the things that are of great concern to you, they are of great concern to God too. And the invitation of the Spirit is to cast ourselves into the Father's love and his care and his goodness, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and to know that all of the things that we need, the children in our life who are estranged, the bills that we need paid, the sickness that's in our body, the stuff, the turmoil that's raging around us, the promise of our Heavenly Father is that as we attend to his business, he attends to our business. Can I get an amen from somebody? Here's the challenge of all of this, and with this we'll begin to pivot to communion. The challenge is that we only ever see the Father's care after it is manifest to us, <laughs> which makes it a matter of faith. It makes it a matter of faith. We have these moments, probably every person that's sitting in this room, you've had a moment where God broke through for you in some way. And you went, oh God, there it is. It happened, right? And you have a Red Sea moment. I will sing to the Lord for he's lofty and uplifted. And the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. And you like live off of the strength of that for a minute. And then you start getting into the next thing and facing the next crisis. And all of a sudden you start to feel the faith ebb <laughs> out of your heart, right? Because the Father's care for us is manifest it's evident after it's been manifest to us, which makes this a matter of faith. We have to continue to hold on to it by faith. And I, I remember one of the times that I faced in my life where I felt like, and we all have these moments, where you start looking around at your life and you go, where did God go? By a show of hands. How many have ever experienced that? Like you, 
led me in this way and you called me to do this thing and, now, and you've provided me up to this point, but now I'm facing this thing. I don't know where you are. And I remember being in that spot in my life sometime in the middle of college. God, where are you? And do you still love me even? Like, I had no clue. And I remember reading Romans chapter 5. It was my devotional for the morning. And this is what Paul says. Paul says that God showed. Everybody say showed. Past tense. God showed his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Do you know what that is? That's the fulfillment of Genesis 15. God being so committed to our care. God's name being so on the line with us. That he says to us, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain... May I be like these animals. And more than that, in the crucified body of the Lord Jesus, do you know what the Lord is also saying to us? That even when you don't keep up your end of the bargain, I'm so committed to you that I will see my life poured out, my body broken for the life of the world. Which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that no matter how many promises God has made, they are all where? In Christ, And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you know how we know that God has promised to be a father to us forever? Christ's body was broken. Christ's blood is poured out, which is our assurance that our father is always at work on our behalf. Can we stand this morning? And now I want you to begin to think about that place in your life. And every single person in this room has some place in your life like this where you are asking for the Father's care to become manifest to you in some way. You got a child that you're struggling with. You got a marriage that's on the rocks. You got a business situation that you can't figure out. You got a financial situation that you're dealing with. You got something going on in your body that you need solutions for. And God's promise to us is that no matter how many promises he has made, every single one of them is yes in Christ. And so what we do this morning is we offer all of these things up to you, O our God. We ask that this morning you would give us new faith to believe that you are at work on our behalf, that you're working in our midst, that your fatherly care for us has no expiration date. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, open our eyes to your wonders, open our eyes to your goodness, open our eyes to your love, and help us see this morning that you are the God who has promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. And so we say with confidence, says the writer of Hebrews, I will not be afraid. What can human beings do to me? Granted, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, let's sing this song in response and then Pastor Rory is going to lead us to the table. You are here moving in our midst and I worship you. I worship you. You are here Working in this place, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, God. You're moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this. 
on me that the very life of faith is being able to sing that God is in fact a way maker and a promise keeper while you are waiting for him to be a way maker and a promise keeper. And I recognize that for many of us, that's exactly where we find ourselves. Holding strong and tightly to belief and hope, but in the moment it is painful and lacking. And the only reminder that can be extended to you is that God is in fact everything he claims to be. And he has proven that time and time again throughout human history. One night he sat down with his closest friends and he shared a meal with them and 
he took bread and he broke it. New Life East, you can break it. He said, this is my body, which will be broken for you as a picture of a new covenant, a new promise, not to obliterate the old one, but to extend off into the endless spaces of human history that this promise-making God does not stop. New Life East, would you take an eat? That same night he took the cup said this this signifies the blood that will be shed for you so that you will know that your father does not stop but he keeps going he pursues you even when he experiences pain he would experience such things so that you would know he is in fact the God who keeps his promises for you new life east would you take and drink Now, would you join me as by faith we declare such things by singing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's sing. Would you lift your hands like this and receive this benediction as you go? New Life East. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may you also know that in Christ Jesus, all of these things are already so. They will not ever become more true than they are true right now. And your Father is carrying you, your good Father is carrying you as you rest between his shoulders. He's carrying you to the very end of time. He cannot fall out of his hands. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. If you are wanting to enter into a relationship with Jesus for the first time this morning, they would also love to pray with you about that. Remember, our table group leaders are available in Connect Central. We also have a fellowship hour is happening. So go get coffee and a donut or a pastry and hang out. The second service people are coming a little bit early, so we're going to hang together. It's going to be great. Uh, I think that's all I have to say. Love you all very much. Grace and peace be with you. See you next Sunday.